Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. Find it here every week on SEM Synergy. Join your host as we learn from the elite of search engine marketing pros and find the winning formula for exceptional search engine marketing. Get the latest news, trends, and analysis in SEO, PPC, branding, SEO design, and analytics. Now, welcome your host, a founding father of SEO and an accomplished search engine marketing scholar, the host of SEM Synergy, Bruce Clay. Hello, you're listening to SEM Synergy, your weekly digital marketing podcast. I'm Bruce Clay, here with Dwayne Forrester and Virginia Nessie. Thanks, Bruce. We've got a great show. Thanks for the the, uh, the exciting start, Dwayne. Yeah. All right, we do have a great show lined up today, and uh, coming up after the break is going to be a helpful look at page speed issues for improving your SEO rankings with our director of software and IT, Aaron Landerkin. But first on the show, let's fill you in on some search engine news. And Bruce Clay and Dwayne Forrester are just the people you want to hear from on this. So there are a couple pieces of news that we'll cover in the first half of the show. The first is what seems like a definitive confirmation from Google about what its top three ranking factors are. So the story is from a hangout that Google senior strategist, search quality senior strategist, Andre Lepatsev said in an interview with Ammon Johns, he said that the first two most important ranking factors for Google are links and content in no particular order. And then some people are kind of um, uh, inferring that the third is rank brain based on past comments from people about, you know, rank brain is the third most important ranking signal. Although it's interesting to note that Andre said that it third place is a hotly contested issue. Of course, of course. Um, And I want to just remind everybody that if somebody says uh, it's links, that's probably 50 different items. And if they say it is content, that's probably everything on page, which is another 50 different items. So I think if you go back to the very, very beginning, uh, I think we all sort of knew that somewhere between on-page and off-page was the majority <laughs> of the algorithm. So this yeah. is what I would not really think of as a particularly informative statement. Um, but yeah. it certainly does look as if it is a statement that says links haven't died in the eyes of Google. But it's sure. Okay, it's 50 things. And it isn't a statement that content, just the words on the page are number one. It's that everything that is used to measure the value of content, uh, likewise, collectively might be one of the top things. But there's 50 things that are in that bucket. Uh, My view is that it isn't going to change anything. Uh, Clearly, you have to have good content and clearly you have to be an expert. I'm not sure what's changed there. Yeah, so um, so I've got a, a, a very slightly uh, different perspective than Bruce has on this. We're very, very much aligned, but I'm going to frame it slightly differently. Um, and first off, I'm going to start off by saying this is, without a doubt, the most epic non-answer in the history of our industry, I think. I mean, you know, hey, tell me what it takes to rank. And the person gives us information that we already know. And 
everyone jumps on it and says, holy cow, it's been clarified. <laughs> that, to me, is just, I, I, am, I am loving the openness with which the industry wants to embrace this as an answer. Um, unfortunately, the reality here is, uh, and this is where Bruce and I are, are going to present slightly different on this one, I believe content is the first thing because long ago we crested the Rubicon. There is no such concept as ranking without content anymore. It simply doesn't happen. The algorithms are way past that. So therefore, I will always say content first, then links, just to put the stake in the ground on that one. If I remember my rank brain correctly, uh, I, I seem to recall the rank brain was about query understanding, not about rank determination. So saying that that rank brain is the third object, I think it's maybe a little flavor of the day. I don't believe that's the case at all. And I do completely agree that number three is a hotly contested mess of all kinds of different things. Yeah, that's just a fancy way of saying number three is dependent on a lot of, a lot of other things. If you're mobile, if you're local, if you're straight up HTML, if you're video, whatever, that's all going to impact how number three plays out there. You know, again, epic non-answer on this one. You know, I like how Jen summed everything up at the end on, on her information. Um, I think it's awesome, though. We are seeing a trend here. We ask Google questions, and they give us an answer. They're not shying away from answering. They're not telling us, oh, that's proprietary. We can't go there. They're literally trying to come up with things that are useful to the broader audience. Unfortunately, sometimes a lot of that is kind of lost on us as SEO experts because we kind of already know that. So, um, so I, I, with Bruce here on this one, I don't think it changes anything. I mean, you've got to have the content. You've got to have the structure. You've got to have you know, the right mix of the right types of links at the right pace in the right locations, internal, external. The third element, uh, you know, not, not so worried about that one, really. Well, I think it even goes uh, much deeper into an area that hasn't really been explained to people. Um, oh, yeah. I will agree that in my personal opinion, uh, the things that I control are the best tools I have for impacting my own ranking. And the only thing here that I really control are my server, my content, my things. I, I don't have as much control yep. over others. So I would say if I wanted to express what in the algorithm I can impact, that affects my ranking, I would have to go with you the content over links. I think, yeah. though, that one of the things that a lot of people forget is that the you have two parts to an algorithm. You have the part uh, that is really going to be, hi, there's 200 variables. You have the other part that says, and every keyword has a different algorithm a different 200 based upon what you're trying to do in the uh, real impression of uh, intent. For instance, yeah. if my intent is shopping, it may very well be that the title is one of the highest variables somehow in the content area. But if my yeah. intent is information, then it could be that the body copy is more important than the title. Or, hey, if I'm in New York, I may have an entirely different intent uh, for Yankee than if I was in the southern states. Or yes. if, 
and what happens is that every keyword in my experience, every keyword has its own algorithm based upon what the search engine has figured out about the intent of the query, and that intent of the query is what determines the algorithm. So to say content is the number one factor is like saying, yep, as long as you're breathing, you're alive. I think everybody yeah. knew that. <laughs> yeah, you know, you bring up a really interesting point here, Bruce, too, and it's that, it's that concept of, and this is where Rank Brain comes into play, it's the understanding of the intent behind the query. So as time evolves, the intent behind queries can change. And that can make a dramatic impact on your efforts to rank successfully. And, you know, I've seen that over the years, especially as websites age, they start to lose traffic, lose ranking. And it's not because they've done anything. And they're chasing the OMG, what happened? What's my silver bullet? I need to fix what? Is it page speed? Is it, you know, mobile? What is it? And the fact of the matter is, it's not something they can actually fix on their end if they stay focused on selected keywords. Because, you know, you look at the phrase cars, for instance. You know, for the longest time, it was a really hot new phrase, and it was related to automotive. Well, then Walt Disney released a really popular cartoon and completely changed the base of what people are looking for around that phrase. So you have to be careful as a business and be aware that these changes are happening around you. It could be having a dramatic impact on your business, and you just don't realize it. So maybe this is a good time for me to transition to our Rank Brains, well, from Rank Brain and the machine learning stuff that's going on. I love seeing machine learning in action with what's going on over at Bing right now. Uh, March seems to be a really busy month for a showcase of what machine learning can do for a search engine because we're seeing election results um, predicted by Bing's machine learning models um, correctly calling 74% of the primary races so far. I think that 74% yeah. is... Uh, about the maximum amount of capability any candidate has. So that seems <laughs> to line up. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with those teams when I was at Bing, and let me tell you, it is some impressive stuff that these guys are working on. Um, right now we're seeing the perfect storm of election and March Madness, all of that data coming together, because both of these things have been in play for a number of years now just, you know, the election cycle hasn't quite caught up at the same time until this year. Uh, here's what's amazing. I spent time in the sports betting world way, way back early in my career. And if you're a handicapper, you know, if you're hitting 50 to 55 percent, you are doing exceptionally well as a handicapper, as a human being, guessing the outcome of a game based on analyzing statistics. That is like, that is the holy grail. That's what guys are shooting for. And the guys who are doing that, those guys are making millions a year as handicappers. So for Bing to be sitting there at 70%, 75%, I've seen outcomes well in excess of 80% on some of the predictions that those services have done over the last few years. This is phenomenally accurate. And I don't know if people understand how impressive this really is. I mean, this is a gigantic step forward in understanding not just intent, but the actual data that's being fed in. 
Which brings me to the most important point. The sheer volume of data that is needed to make something like that happen is way beyond the scope of most people and most businesses today. They just don't have it. They might think they've got big data. No, you don't have big data like the NCAA has big data. So, um, so it is impressive stuff. I would like to see it applied to more items. Like uh, years ago, there was a um, there was a service in Bing that used to tell you when airline prices would go up and down. So you could tell it to watch for the cost of a ticket from location to location. And if the price went down, it would email you and tell you, now's the best time to buy because historically from here, the price goes up. Or it would tell you, wait until the price drops. It should drop in three weeks, two weeks, one week, drop, and now's the best time to buy. You know, I'd like to see this be applied to more areas like that to um, areas like traffic prediction and, and that kind of information, to parking in scenarios where I know I'm going to a location, I want to know if I leave now and I go early, will I get parking, or can I wait till later and go down and still get parking? All of these kinds of real-life moments that we all face. And I think that these things are areas that this type of machine learning can tackle. That was actually really interesting because I was wondering, the next question for me was, where will we see this stuff improve my daily life? So. Yeah. So, you know, the biggest impact that you're going to see, Virginia, is in your pocket, right? On your, your device. Um, because you will see these things threaded through Siri and Cortana and Google Now, and you will see them starting to do more by way of telling you. I mean, we already have this with... You know, Cortana, Siri, and, and Google Now will tell me, you know, hey, Dwayne, from where you're at right now, it's coming on the end of day, it's 25 minutes to home. Um, the next step in that evolution is to tell me if I wait 15 minutes, my commute home won't be 20 minutes, it'll be 45 minutes. Mm. And so give me the data I need so that I don't have to watch you. Like, I'm not constantly watching my phone to see is, you know, my commute time getting longer, but bridge that next step and tell me, Based on your predictive modeling, are you going to increase my commute time by a factor of two and a half times if I wait another 10 minutes, or should I just leave now? And, and you know, I think that's going to be one of the next iterations of where we start to see that stuff coming to real life. Well, I'm still trying to figure out if I should get my car washed today or tomorrow. Um, oh, I should ask Siri. Yeah. Or better yet, Bing just released, or Microsoft just released, a new AI bot on Twitter called Tay, and I spent time yesterday playing with Tay on Twitter. And let me tell you, it was very interesting because Tay is designed to target millennials, 18 to 34-year-olds, decidedly not me. So it's got a bit of an edge to it, but the most fascinating thing to me was when I asked it if it knew the weather, it said, of course. And I then said, well, what is the weather? And it said, and I quote, the weather is inside a bra. And I thought, I, you know, I really must be getting old because I don't get this reference. <laughs> totally lost on me. So you're thinking millennials um, will understand that? Because I don't get it. Well, I'm, I'm, certainly, I'm certainly hoping so, right? <laughs> that or that product still needs a bunch of work. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> it was, uh, but it, it's a lot of fun. I mean. You know, if you go in and play with these things, like you start to see where some of the edges and the boundaries are that the programmers are working with, right? And that gives you a clue to 
to the size of the data sets they're working with, and also some insights into the target audience. Like, clearly these people are okay with an edgier response than Cortana or Siri give right now. And, you know, Siri, you can kind of have a pseudo-conversation with her right now. If you frame it correctly, you can delude yourself into thinking you're actually having a short conversation with someone. Um, you know, Cortana has that same type of ability. K is, it's, it's a next-generation product. So, so I'm very intrigued by it. And if you tell Tay straight up, you know, hey, your syntax needs a little work, like she'll just respond back saying, no doubt, smiley face. Like, so there is that appearance of awareness, even though there is no actual awareness. Um, they're kind of building these things and training people to think in that direction. So when we get there, when we are able to use that predictive modeling reliably, we will have a generation of people that are certainly open and willing to accepting it. And I'll tell you, if you think this is all, you know, Buck Rogers stuff, and if you don't know what Buck Rogers is, look it up, people. Come on, I can't shave 20 years off my life just to give you a good example here. But if you think this is all really crazy stuff, don't kid yourself. SEO is about managing data. Data is what powers all of these services. So if you're an SEO, you have a vested interest in how these services manifest and grow over time. Thank you for your analysis, gentlemen. Actually, I like having a little action item. I have to check out what Tay is. Um, yeah. We're, yeah. we're going to take a quick break to hear from sponsors, but stick around because Aaron's going to help you actually understand the why behind those page speed improvement recommendations you've been making for years. More SEM Synergies on the way. Don't go away. SEM Synergy will be right back. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. 
Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Search engine marketing formulated for Web 2.0. You're listening to SEM Synergy on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to SEM Synergy. I'm Virginia Nessie, and I'm actually here with Aaron Landerkin. Aaron, you're our director of... Of uh, software development. Director of <laughs> software development. And um, today we're talking about page speed. Mm-hmm. So you gave a presentation to our analysts about page speed, and I was just asking you, what was the instigating reason for that? I think the instigating reason was some of the analysts, while they know the basics about page speed and what it does and how it can help a site... They weren't really sure on some of the recommendations, you know, how to do the implementation or how to, um, or, or really what was more important than other things or, you know, just kind of the, the nitty gritty of it. Right. It's kind of like, I know I'm supposed to recommend ABC, but I've been wondering why. Yeah. And some of them are very similar. I mean, if you get uh, recommendations from page speed and why slow, and some of these other tools, some of them are similar, but one tool might make one recommendation where one tool might make three that does the same thing. And they do. So there's a, there's a bit of an overlap there. And, um, and some of them also seem contradictory, which was also a source of some of the questions. So we just wanted to kind of go over everything and make sure we had a good understanding of all of it. So, uh, so that when we make recommendations to clients, we have a good, a, a good understanding of what we're doing. That makes sense. Okay, so you've opened up a couple of things here on the screen. Yeah. The small presentation I gave. Um, and then the second is a tool called GT Metrics, which runs uh, the page speed and Y slow tools and also gives you a waterfall view of how your page loads. And the presentation is something that people will be able to find on com slash blog. Okay, so why don't we walk through it? Okay. So the presentation, um, basically I wanted to give a good understanding about how the whole request and response cycle works, because that's basically what you're trying to fix when you're fixing page speed. You want to get the, the time it takes to do that whole cycle down. And so um, we went over, the first part we went over is how DNS works and how, you know, when you type in a site, how your browser knows where to go and get it or, or your network so that you can hit their server. The server can, uh, you know, respond to you and you get the content in your browser. I see four steps. Check local cache, check server cache, check ISP cache, and then look it up. Right. So the way the DNS works is that uh, you have a local cache on your machine that says, you've already been to this site and we already looked it up and it's found at, you know, this internet address, which is like the IP. Mm -hmm. If it's not there, then it'll go to the server that you're connecting to like a DNS server. If you're at a company, you probably have one or, or whatever. It could be, uh, it could be at your ISP too. Um, And then 
it'll check. Same thing there. It says, do you have this an address for this site? If yeah, give it to me. If not, I'll go somewhere else. And then it goes to the ISP. And then if nobody has it in their cache, uh, it'll go query uh, the name server and get it from the name server. So the name server is what you set up in your registrar when you register a domain and you say, my domain is going to be found here. The name server is what uh, holds the info uh, for the internet address for, for, your, uh, for your domain. And then once it gets all that, then it knows where to go and it sends the request. This happens for every request your browser makes, you say? Yeah. So that by that you mean like every image on a page? every Yeah, so if your site or your page has 100 things that it loads, then it's got to look that up a hundred times, even if it's in the even if it's in your your browser cache, it's still got to go get it. And then the next part was kind of the request response loop. So once the browser knows where to go get the the data that it wants, it sends a request, and the request has a packet of information that it sends to the server, which is uh, you know what type of request it is, where the request is located on the domain, which is the path. So if you're going to like bruceclay.com slash SEO, uh, the path would be SEO or slash SEO. And it'll give some other information to the server about what type of uh, what type of content it's expecting to get and you know its user agent, like if it's a browser or whatever. Um, and then there's some other stuff too. If you're if you're using a form and you post content, then it, it'll send that data over with the request. Yeah, so it'll send all that stuff over for the server to process it, and then the server will get that data and interpret it however it's going to do it. So whether it's got to put a page together like WordPress does, or if it's going to serve something cached, or however, it puts it together based on the request and then sends it back, and that response is what you get in your browser. It's pretty straightforward. Um, So that also needs to be done for every request, unless the resource you're looking for is cached, which is why caching is such a big deal in PageSpeed. Because then if you're, if it's cached, then all this stuff goes away. Mm -hmm. Um, The next part we go into is rendering, which is probably the more misunderstood part of PageSpeed. And rendering is how the browser puts in, puts together your, uh, your page. So it gets all this stuff from the, first response and then it starts to parse that and it figures out it needs more stuff like images and JavaScript files and CSS files. And it goes through and gets all that stuff. And then it's got to start putting them together. Um, and so uh, in this, in the slide here, I have a kind of a diagram of how that happens. Um, the HTML gets parsed and creates this thing called a document object model. From there, it also gets, knows to get the, uh, other style sheets or JavaScript files or whatever, and it starts to get all those images too. Mm-hmm. Concurrently, it starts to process the CSS and figure out the rules that's going to make when it starts to paint all of the stuff onto the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, it puts that back together in, uh, in these things called frames. They're not frames like the way you think of HTML frames or iframes, but they're like literal like layers of, uh, of display. And then... Um, and then it draws them on the screen. And so understanding that uh, is kind of helpful when you're going through page speed and page speed is recommending that you don't use 
blocking JavaScript or saying something blocks something. When it says that, it means that one of these things can't, one of these items in the in the flow chart can't move to the next item right. until that is all done loading. And that's, uh, you want to avoid that for page speed. You want everything to load concurrently. Right. So it is, it's a very visual diagram that you can understand every place where a page load could have a hiccup if you're blocking something or if there's something in the way. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So what I started to think about is when we run GT metrics or page speed or any of these tools, they give us all these recommendations and they say, you know, this one affects your images or your JavaScript or your CSS or, you know, whatever. And I don't think that's a, the best way to think about it. I think it, the best way is to kind of break it up into what we've been talking about, which is caching um, mm-hmm. and then the request response loop and then rendering. Mm-hmm. And if you can break it up in those three things, then you can kind of understand what's more important mm-hmm. than other things. Because if you can cache something, then the whole request response loop goes away. Like there's a, so much you can uh, you can get from caching that um, I think it's better to think of it that way instead of thinking by what kind of resource it is. Um, so that's basically the gist of the presentation I gave the analysts mm. is uh, if you can think of it that way, then I think you can prioritize the recommendations and, and better to see what gives you the biggest bang for your buck. For sure. So the first thing we went into was caching. Um, which will reduce the number of requests for DNS and HTTP. It cuts down that whole loop. Um, It'll also reduce the server load of the server you're requesting because now they don't have to serve you content. You just load it from your browser. What limitations are there to caching? So caching is, is pretty much set by you or the webmaster. So limitations, you can, you can limit things by time. You can limit things by, um, you know, say like it's only, you can only cache this for a, a week and then you have to get a new version. Mm-hmm. Some people don't want caching because the page may update frequently mm-hmm. or the resource may update frequently uh, with the same name. And so um, some people, some webmasters might not want it. Um, but for the user, it's pretty useful. And of course, caching only works if a visitor has been to the page before. Yeah. So in the first request, the server will respond with something that says you can cache this for X amount of time. Mm-hmm. The browser says okay, and it keeps it. Okay. Unless you have caching turned off in your browser, <laughs> which is a setting, but right. most people don't. Okay. So that will kind of address the DNS and the bandwidth issues, um, which is a big part of the page speed stuff. So that's kind of your top priority, it looks like. I think it is. I mean, everybody tries to focus on these things that are really intensive, like optimizing images and things like that. And on a, on a huge site, uh, it's really, really hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so caching is, is something that's pretty simple. It's just a server setting or, you know, or a, a setting in your application that you're running. It's not, not anything really, really hard. Okay. And it gives you a huge, huge benefit. Right. Uh, or the next category was kind of optimizing the request response thing, which I categorized as, as bandwidth. And that includes things like reducing the number of requests, uh, reducing the size of the requests, and reducing the size of the content. Um, so these are things like where you see recommendations for gzipping your content or not using so many cookies or you know stuff like that is all designed to kind of 
uh, keep the size down of the packets that are going back and forth. Um, and those also take, those also are, are, are pretty good uh, speed recommendations because um, if your page is normally like a hundred kilobytes and now you can deliver it in 30, that's, you know, obviously a huge boost. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and same thing goes with your images and CSS, you know, minimizing your uh, CSS and JavaScript is, is a big help. Uh, it may make it unreadable when you load it in the browser, but that's okay. <laughs> and then the last part was going over the processing or the rendering of the page. And what your goal here is uh, to do is to reduce the amount of work that the browser has to do in order to give the page to the user. Um, and by what you're doing here, or what you're doing here is you're allowing the browser to use its, you know, multiple processes to kind of draw the page in the most efficient manner. If that makes sense. Yep. The basic thing about page speed is that you want to have less of everything. You want to have less size. You want to have, you know, less processing time, less everything. The more you can cut down on that, uh, the better. And so, uh, you know, that's the whole, one of the thing about the, the, the push towards mobile optimization is getting everything down so mobile devices can use it better. Yeah. Well, those things help on desktop too. Yes. I mean, everything, if everything's faster then everything's better. So less is more. Yeah. Um, I, I that was, uh, our SEO manager called it this presentation one that changed his life. And I think that <laughs> looking, looking at it from this other perspective of, you know, help it help, uh, the cash, um, the size of everything and, um, then how the page draws itself out. Right. Those mm -hmm. are kind of the three yeah. big categories. Right. All, all part, all three of those are part of the pipeline to delivering the content to the browser. And that's what you're trying. You're trying to, in, uh, improve all three phases of that. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah. You had the tool up. Did you want to point anything out with, um, Gmetric? Um, no, I have the tool up basically to just kind of, uh, show that all these, all of these, uh, different recommendations have to do with one of those items that I went over. Mm -hmm. Um, so things like, uh, specifying image dimensions helps with the rendering because then the browser doesn't have to try to figure out what the image size is. Right. Um, things like Minifying your CSS and JavaScript helps with the speed because it, the content that the server is delivering is, is uh, the size of the content is lower than what it normally would be. You know, doing things like uh, avoiding bad requests helps limit your bandwidth because now you're not making so many of those DNS lookups and request and response loops uh, to get data. So things like, because redirecting and 404 errors and stuff, those all take resources. And so if you're serving those a lot, um, then you're just taking up more resources. Fantastic. Well, uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to share this on bruceclay.com slash blog and with listeners of the podcast. Uh, you know you want to check out this article by Aaron Landerkin on the blog. And thank you for listening to this week's show. Hope you join us again next week on SEM Synergy. Thank you. 
This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.